But the ultimate question is, I think, as I look at this, is what should we expect? If you're going to actually take time to put God at the center of your life, whether it comes through the the idea of prayer and fasting or whether it's simply a personal decision to follow Christ, what should we expect as individuals and what can we hope for as a congregation? With that in mind, I want to just walk through very briefly a section of Luke chapter 4. I'm going to go through it pretty quickly, so we're not going to put the verses on the screen. But if you have your Bibles and you want to look there, you can. Uh, But I want to ask the question in the context of Jesus' life. What can you expect if you put God at the center of your life? What will happen? What will the outcome be? So as we move into these next three weeks, we have, I think, a legitimate and a reasonable expectation. So I'm going to read Luke chapter 4. I'm going to read just a few verses about the temptation of Jesus, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of God. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he had nothing to eat during those days. And when they ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said, today I give you all authority in their glory for it has been delivered to me. And I will give them to you. And if you then will worship me. It will all be yours. And Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then he took him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is a reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we have worshipped you in in song. We have worshipped you in the sacrament of baptism. Father, now as a spiritual family, we come together to worship you with our hearts and our minds as we study your word. Father, I pray that you would uh, still our hearts and our minds. We come from very busy weeks as we look to next week. It's just as busy. Lots to do in school, lots to do at work, lots to do in our family, in our neighborhood, in our community. But Father, for these next few moments, we need your truth to speak into our hearts. So Lord God, we want to be attentive to what you have to say. So Holy Spirit, please come and open our hearts and minds to your truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what happens if you, you put God at the center of your life? <laughs> what kind of outcome can you expect? As we think about the next three weeks, what kind of outcome can we expect as we seek to focus in on his lordship? The passage starts off and it says, and Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. In other words, he was under the direction of God. There wasn't any question about whether Jesus had, had committed himself to an obedience to following God. You know, I struggle with that. Am I going to follow God in this set of circumstances and that set of circumstances? Sometimes it's easier. Sometimes it's tougher. You know, if we're trying to kill our 15th penalty of the game, it's a little tougher for me to follow Jesus, in all honesty with you guys. When we're up four goals, no problem. I'm praising the Lord, okay? But Jesus was always under the the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. It never ebbed and flowed. It never changed. And it said that Jesus was therefore full of the Holy Spirit. You think that God would just want to take care of Jesus. He'd he'd want to make sure that he was okay. He'd want to make sure that he was ready to go. This is right at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it said he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days 
And there were two conditions out in the wilderness in these 40 days. He was tempted by the devil, and he had nothing to eat during that time. Now, we're going to come back to the temptation in just a minute. I want to talk about not having food. Not having food is no fun. (laughs) Not having food is not a pleasant experience. If you look at uh, children in third world countries, and you look at, at children who don't have enough to eat, who are malnourished, it's not a very pleasant sight, is it? But, you know, even, even missing a breakfast, you know, if you wake up late for work and you've got to run out the door, you know, you don't get to school or, or you, don't, you don't get to eat before you get to school or get to work, you know, about 10.30 in the morning, your stomach starts growling and you start feeling uncomfortable. Now, think about that for a day. We're asking folks to do one day a week for three weeks. Think about how you're going to feel at the end of that day if you choose to participate in this. You're going to be hungry. I decided I was going to start tomorrow and then I looked at my calendar and tomorrow night I'm supposed to be at the Young Life Banquet. Okay, so I'm going to sit there with my little sippy cup while everybody enjoys a, a nice meal, and I might, I might give in to temptation and, and have dinner. But being hungry is no fun. Well, Jesus wasn't just a little hungry. His stomach wasn't growling. He went 40 days without food. I mentioned last Sunday I had a friend who fasted for 40 days. There wasn't much left of him when he was done. It took him several weeks to recover from that. Now, why would God lead his son to a place where there's no food. You think if Jesus is the Savior of the world, if Jesus is the the beloved, the begotten of the Father, the one that we we looked at last week, he said, this is the one with whom I'm well pleased, there would be a meal on the table. (laughs) That Jesus would have three square meals a day. After all, he's the Savior of the world. That's a pretty tough job. You want to make sure he's had a good breakfast before he goes off to work. And yet the Father says, I'm going to put you in a place where you're going to be literally physically without nutrition. One of the things I think you can expect when you put God at the center of your life is the unexpected. God is a good God, but as C.S. Lewis wrote, he's not a safe God. And he doesn't play by your rules, and he doesn't play by my rules, and he's not constrained by what my impression is of him or what your impression is of him, but rather he is the Lord and he is the king. And he sent his son, his beloved son, into the wilderness for a very specific reason, but it wasn't outside of his care. And it wasn't outside of his compassion. In fact, he did it for that very reason. The other aspect about this being in the wilderness was that he was tempted by Satan. And I want to talk about that for a few moments because you can believe that whether you believe in God or not is irrelevant. You will be tempted by the evil one. There will be times when he seeks to lead you astray. And I believe that part of God's provision for his son was putting him in a place where he knew unequivocally that he had to trust his father that there was no room for error in what was going to happen in these next few verses. Satan comes to Jesus and he says this, if you're the son of God, why don't you turn these stones to bread? In other words, Jesus, if if you're the son of God, then you have the same power as God, right? you're, You're on equal footing with him. You can do all kinds of miracles. This is really cool. If you're so hungry, why don't you take care of your hunger and why don't you provide a meal for yourself? Why don't you go ahead and make yourself a sandwich? Now, if I were being tempted in that particular situation, I probably would have thought, what a great idea. How dumb have I been for the last 40 days hanging out around here waiting for my father to provide food when I have the opportunity to do it for myself? But you see, that's where fasting comes in. That's where prayer comes in. Because it reminds us that we are not the ones who provide for ourselves. We're reminded that it's God who provides for us. Everything you have today, you might say, you know, I've, I've pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I've earned every dime I have. Friends, quite frankly, no, you haven't. 
God gave you the ability to earn the living in the first place. God gave your employer a reason to hire you. God has provided the air you breathe and the food you eat. And Jesus understood that even though he was in a wilderness and even though he was a place where it seemed like there was nothing, he could trust his father. I think one of the benefits that will come out of the next three weeks is that we will learn as a congregation that same lesson, that we can trust our father. It may feel uncomfortable. It may feel a bit intimidating. And yet we can know that he cares for us. So Jesus answers Satan. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. In other words, Satan, you don't get it. This isn't about physical food. If I starve to death, it's not about physical food. It's about the life that I have by being connected to my father. And if I break his commandment and I break that relationship with him, then I die. What did God say to Adam and Eve in the garden? Don't eat of that fruit. Why? Because he was a bull and he wanted to pick on him and be mean to him and not let him have a good time? No. Because he said, the day you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. And that's exactly what happened. And Jesus knew that he lived by his father's word and not by bread alone. And so he was able to put his trust in his father. And I want to skip the second one and come to the third one for a second. Then he's in Jerusalem at the top of the temple. And Satan says to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. What's Satan tempting there? He's saying, why don't you just make sure that God means what he says? You know, you, you've quoted to me, Jesus, that, that it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. Well, I read someplace that it said that, if, that his angels would take care of you and they wouldn't even let you strike your foot against the stone. So why don't we just, why don't we just make sure that that's true. And Jesus says, you don't put God to the test. You know what else fasting does? Fasting centers you on the truth that God is the one who's in control, that God who is the one who is Lord, and that you don't test him, but rather you trust him. If God decides that I'm going to fall off this stage, so be it, but I'm not going to jump off to prove that he's going to take care of me. God, in his provision and in his wisdom, rightly understands our need. And so whether I am in physical health or whether I have a sickness, whether I'm feeling great or whether I'm feeling awful isn't the point. God is the one who cares for me, even in those moments. And Jesus understood very clearly that his trust was to be in his heavenly Father. And there was no reason to test him. Fasting and prayer pulls us back away from the precipice of wanting to see if God really does love us. Have you ever had that thought? I wonder if God really does love me. You know, when nobody else is around, you're kind of thinking through your life. Has that thought ever crossed your mind? I really, I really wonder if God does care. And maybe I'll, I'll, I'll try to do something to prove whether or not he loves me or not. And Jesus said, you know what? You know, I don't need to go there. Because I know that I can trust my Father, and I believe that fasting does that for us. But I want to come back to the middle one, because I think it's actually the most poignant for us today. It says the devil took him and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Uh, that phrase there is like if you had a time machine and you could go back to the very beginning of time to, to when the light first dawned all the way to the end of the world whenever that's going to be. In some way, Satan was able to show Jesus all the history of the world, which means he was able to show him everybody who ever lived, which meant he was able to show him all of us sitting here this morning. And he said to him, to you... I will give all of the authority of their glory. 
for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. You need to understand what Satan's offering here. Satan's offering Jesus a way out of the cross. Why did Jesus come to the earth? He didn't come to the earth to be a good teacher, although he was a phenomenal teacher. He didn't come to the earth to walk on water, although he walked on water, and to do miracles and to feed thousands of people and to heal the sick. That's not the primary purpose Jesus came to earth. His primary purpose was because you have an eternal problem, and I have an eternal problem called sin. And we have no eternal hope apart from Christ. It's what God said to Adam and Eve, the day you eat of this fruit, you will die. And we are in the process of dying. And apart from Christ, that death goes on forever. It never stops. We are separated from God for all of eternity. And Jesus came to correct that situation. He came so that I could stand in front of you today and say, if you put your faith in Christ, you don't have an eternal problem anymore. That's all gone. Because Christ has loved you from eternity and he gave his life for you so that you could have salvation. And Satan's saying to him, Jesus, if you'll just bow down before me, you can avoid all of that pain and all of that suffering. Now, I don't know if you saw The Passion of the Christ, but that, uh, that movie get, does a very good job of depicting the suffering of Jesus. I can't even begin to imagine what Jesus went through both physically and spiritually on the cross. But Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus wasn't in the wilderness going, gee, I, I don't know how my life's going to end. Jesus knew exactly why he came to earth. He knew that he was going to the cross for you and for me. And Satan said, look, I'm going to give you a way out. And nobody else has to see it. All you got to do is just, just kind of quickly right here. Nobody's around. Just bow down to me. This Jesus, just between you and me. And you know what? All those people, you can have them. I didn't want them in the first place. I just want your worship. And what fasting does, what prayer does, is it reminds you that there's only one object of worship in all the universe. That we may worship false gods from time to time. We may, we may bow down before idols from time to time. But when we do, we know in the depths of our heart that we're wrong. And Jesus says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus says, Satan, you don't get it. I'm going to the cross because that's the road my father has paved for me. I'm going to the cross because that is his chosen instrument to redeem mankind. That's the plan that God has so that Tom Ricks could stand at North Kirkwood Middle School in 2008 and tell people that there's hope beyond this life. Because I am going to serve my father by bringing about salvation. And if it means my death, then it means my death. But I trust my father even in my death. Friends, that's off the charts faith. (laughs) That's an unbelievable faith. But Jesus, because he had been alone with his father for 40 days, not distracted by all the other stuff of the world, he had a more clear and a more precise picture of what his life was to be than you or I could ever possibly have this morning. And he saw the world for what it was. And so he said to Satan, no thanks. I'm only going to serve my father. And in doing so, he signed his own death warrant, but he also signed your certificate of life. Because if we put our faith in him, if we trust in him, we can have the new life that he purchased on the cross. So why are we asking you as elders, as the servant leaders of this congregation, why are we asking you guys for the next three weeks, and those of you that are visiting are kind of in on a family conversation this morning, why are we asking you to do this? Why are we going to do it ourselves? It's because of the fact that as we get away from the distractions, we're going to see life more clearly. 
I don't know how God's going to deal with all this. I don't know about the whole money part of the thing and how it's going to work out. Quite frankly, I, I don't want to worry about that. I want to put my trust in God for my own life and for the circumstances of Green Tree Community Church. But I can promise you this, if we will take this time, if we will set it, set it aside from the things of this earth that are good, a meal's a good thing. I hope you all go have a great lunch. We're not starting until tomorrow, by the way, okay? So just in case anybody was panicking, all right? Not starting until tomorrow morning. Go have a good lunch. That's awesome. God's provided that food for you. But as we enter into a time of prayer and fasting, we abstain from that in order to get something much, much, much better. The presence of God in our lives. Let's pray.